Indeed, your love for us is more than we could ever imagine. It's a steadfast love. It is an unending love. It is an abundant love. It never reaches an end. There is always abundantly more. Lord, thank you for this morning. Now open our minds and our hearts to receive from you, to hear your voice through the preaching of your word. And we want you to be on display this morning. Set our hearts, affections upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take a seat. Get your Bibles out. Turn to Romans chapter 12. This morning we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual gifts. We have talked about the church last week. And it only made sense that we would talk about spiritual gifts. And I want to begin by talking about the offering. The offering. Not a offering, the offering. Okay? If you don't have a Bible on your phone or anything, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For, th- for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans, he presents theology, or the doctrine of the Christian faith. In fact, there are some people that call the letter to the Romans the constitution of the Christian faith. And this is Paul's pattern. He lays out doctrine first. In other words, your thinking must be right. He calls this doctrine, in this passage, the mercies of God. Because chapter 11 is all doctrine, chapter 12 begins application. And it's the word therefore. So I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's the doctrine he's referring to, all that God has done for us. But the first thing, and this is the crucial point, the first thing, and the logical thing, the point he makes is that there is to be a complete offering of ourselves to God. An absolute or total surrender. And it's characterized by these four points here. 
He calls them brethren or brothers, meaning they've already placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They have a redeemed soul. And it's pretty simple to follow. The next thing he says is you present or offer your what? Your body, your lifestyle, your physical body, a holy body. You offer him a renewed mind. And you offer him a submissive will. Now I want you to watch this very carefully. These things come first. What happens next? Then he calls for the use of spiritual gifts. You catch that point? There is always surrender to God before service to God. And it's not just a, you know, a, a partial surrender. It is a total and complete surrender to him. You're in the process of surrendering to him now, why is that important to recognize that point? Because spiritual gifts are so important, God gave them to us to build up the church, but they only build up the church when they are used with the right motive. And we'll get into that later. Let's talk about what I call is the why of spiritual gifts. Why we need to know about spiritual gifts, okay? So turn your Bibles to... 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go between 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 this morning. Starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then what? 1 Corinthians. Very good. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12 chapter 1. Is everybody there? because you're going to keep a finger there because we're going to go to Ephesians uh, next. But 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or uninformed. You see that? Now why do we need to know about spiritual gifts? Well, let's look at There are going to be two reasons. And you can write these down if you want to. Spiritual gifts manifest Christ in the church and then ultimately to the world. Okay? And secondly, the church grows through the use of spiritual gifts. Okay? So that they manifest, they reveal, they display Christ in the church and then ultimately to the world. The church grows through the use of spiritual gifts. So for the time being, we're going to define spiritual gifts like this. They're simply divine spiritual enablements given to the believer. Divine spiritual enablements given to the believer. Now, keep your finger at 1 Corinthians 12. Go to the right or forward to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Everyone there? Verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what I want to do for the next minute is take this verse apart phrase by phrase. It says, But to each one of us, because we're talking about spiritual gifts here, what does that mean? Well, it means that no Christian is excluded from spiritual gifts. 
everybody has spiritual gift slash gifts. All right? So it's to everybody, to each one of us. Grace was given. So what does that tell us about spiritual gifts? Well, these gifts, they're not earned. Okay? We don't deserve them. They're a, a grace from God. Third phrase, according to the measure. This means this when it comes to spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts are measured out, now check this out, individually and uniquely for every Christian. God himself individually measures out for you your spiritual gifts. And it says it's of Christ's gift, the measure of Christ's gift. So we know that Christ gives the gift, and that gift is a spiritual enablement to every believer that is unique to that believer. You have what you have by God's design, okay? By God's design. Now, this is why Paul wrote earlier, and just listen to this in Ephesians, that we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. Created in what? Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. You're special. As a child of God, you are utterly unique and special. And it really highlights when it comes to spiritual gifts. So you're uniquely made and specifically gifted to do the work God's prepared for you to do. Have you ever thought about that before? Now let's go to Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So after Christ died on the cross, what did he do? Between you know, Friday and Sunday, what did he do? Well, he went down to Sheol, which is a place where the, all the Old Testament saints were, and he gathered those saints, the, son, the souls of the men and women that he wanted to cross, and he triumphantly ushered them into the presence of the Father in heaven. Now, as was custom, after defeating his enemy, and of course, who did Christ defeat? Satan, sin, and ultimately death. He gave to the church back on earth gifts. Okay? What are those gifts? Well, this is verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. In other words, I am a gift to you. That was a weak attempt at a joke, okay? <laughs> but, but apostles, prophets, evangelists, it's pastor slash teacher, it's a combination, okay? So just FYI, the role of a pastor is always to be a teacher. A pastor is a shepherd, right? And what do shepherds do physically? Well, they shepherd a flock of sheep, okay? And they feed the sheep, and they protect the sheep, you know, so they provide protect, okay? So if the pastor can't teach, and I know of churches, there are pastors, they're, they're, they're better being at a, a hospitality pastor than a, a lead pastor, a senior pastor, where they carry the teaching. Because it's the job of the pastor to feed the flock, 
That's why it's pastor slash teacher, okay? But God gave these gifted men to the church as gifts. Well, why? Now, here's the key. Remember Ephesians 4, 7? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has already given individual gifts to every believer, right? Amen, there we go. It's the role of the gifted men to equip the gifted believers to use those gifts. It's pretty simple. And this is the job description from the Bible for every pastor. And it's listed in verses 12 and 13. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let me explain what that means there, those two verses. So the church has been given gifted men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip you, the church, gifted believers, to maximize the use of their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ until the church matures and manifests the fullness of Christ. Let me put it another way. God has given gifted men to equip gifted believers to maximize the use of their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ until the church becomes fully Christ-like. Does that make sense? Your unique spiritual gifts are for the purpose of revealing or manifesting Christ in the church. Did you know that? That's the motivation. That's why you use your spiritual gifts, to reveal Jesus Christ in the church and then ultimately to the world. And this is the only way that the church reaches maturity. And this is where, in my opinion, the entertainment center churches have just missed the point. All the advertising, all of the show that they put on to bring people in, I'm not gonna build the church. People using their gifts, manifesting Christ, and then God builds and grows the church. That's how it works, according to the Bible. But this is why, when you understand this, you cannot be ignorant of spiritual gifts. You cannot be unaware of spiritual gifts. Because if the church is unaware of spiritual gifts that God has given believers, then the church will never mature, right? And if the church never matures, it will never reveal full Christ-likeness to a lost and dying world. Now, that's the why we need to know. Let's talk about the more we need to know. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hopefully you kept your finger there. Go back to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Let's quickly take you through this. More we need to know about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to notice the word spiritual gifts. Some of your versions may just have the word spirituals there. Is that correct for some of you? 
you may have the word gifts in italics. Okay? Because not because that particular word it doesn't appear in the original text. The word only appears is spiritual. So it is read this way. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. That's how it's actually written in the original language in the Greek. The question is then what are spirituals? Well, in Greek, the word spiritual is a, a, a Greek word called pneumaticon, and it's broken down in two ways. The word pneuma, you might know this, P-N-E-U-M-A, do you know what that stands for? Spirit, okay? And icon, I-K-O-N, means characterized or controlled by. So pneumaticon then would be controlled by or characterized by the spirit. So we would translate verse 1 of chapter 12 this way. Now concerning certain things characterized or controlled by the spirit, brethren. And this gives you a big idea and insight into what spiritual gifts are, the more we need to know. So it's very clear he's talking about spiritual gifts when he uses the word spiritual. Now there are five different terms in this passage that uh, Paul uses to refer to spiritual gifts. Look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. You see that? The word gifts is the Greek word charisma, which means grace. So what does that tell us about spiritual gifts then? They're received by grace. And you didn't earn them, you don't deserve them. Look at verse five. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. Now the word for gifts there is ministries or administration. In the Greek it's the word dikonidon, which we get the word deacon from, which means to serve. So what does this list tell us about spiritual gifts? Well, they're to be used to serve. So they're grace gifts and they're service gifts. Look at verse 6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. The word in reference to gifts is effects. It's a Greek word, I can't even pronounce it, but basically it means that the gifts are energized by God. So, to sum it up for you real quickly, this is what the first six verses tell us about spiritual gifts. You see that? They're controlled by the Spirit. They're given us by grace from God, they're used to serve the body, and they're energized or empowered by the Lord. They're not used to exalt the person using the gift. It's not used to make your name great. It is used to make his name great. Okay? Now, look at verses four and six again in its totality. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. What you see here is a, is a contrast, I don't know if you catch, caught this or not, between unity and diversity. Here's the unity part of verses four through six. The same spirit, the same what? Lord and the same God. In other words, Spirit, Jesus, Father, the Trinity, okay? Watch the diversity now. Varieties of what? Gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. What's this tell us about spiritual gifts? God has built into his church unity. 
But that unity is only maintained when there is a diversity of ministry. Does that make sense? In other words, think of it this way. I'll do the teaching here. I can't be there watching children. I don't know how to do, you know, fix things around the building here. I can't do the teaching if I'm having to do the lawn and edge, okay? Take care of the finances, visit sick people, do all of that stuff. There's always a variety of ministries. So the church is unified and that, that maintain that unity comes through a diversity of gifts that God gives each individual in each church to be in use. If it doesn't happen, then the church never grows. You understand that? It will never mature. And by mature, I mean it will never reach full Christ-likeness. Okay? Look at verse 7, chapter 12. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here we find another word for spiritual gifts, manifestation. And it means to make clear or visible or known. So what are spiritual gifts then for? So here we go. We can add this one to it now. It's just a public display of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are for what? They are to be a visible, clear, manifest, public display of the working of the Spirit of God for the common good of those gathered in the church. See, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about, about the Lord. So whatever spiritual gifts you have, that means that they're not just meant for private use, but primarily for public use. So the Holy Spirit is revealed and the church is built up. And this verse also answers a, a question I find is common among people that are unaware or hesitant of, of spiritual gifts or certain spiritual gifts. For example, um, one of the, the gifts that has been used by man and abused by man has been the gift of tongues. Anyone that's been in the church knows that. And tongues is a little different. Um, it kind of can freak people out because it's kind of weird. Okay, Because of that, because of how it's been abused... By the way, the gift of tongues was obviously happening in the early church, but the 20th century was what theologians call the century of the Holy Spirit. So when the gift of tongues and the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts were really kind of brought back into, into the, the body of Christ. But with the weirdness of it, and people weren't aware of it, and some of the abuses behind it, people kind of stayed away from it. Okay? And they were cautious against it, okay? Open but cautious, remember that? I think you interviewed some pastors. I'm open to the spiritual gifts of, of tongues, but I'm cautious. Which is another way of saying there's no way it's going to happen in this church if I'm the pastor. Okay. I said, well, it's not open here. It's open and we're going to pursue it, because that's what the scriptures say. That being said, I was in a staff meeting years ago. I think I told you this story. And this couple that, that did not believe that the miraculous gifts were working today. Because somehow in a staff meeting, the gift of tongues came up, and one of the staff uh, 
wives said that, well, the gift of tongues are divisive. That was the reason why you shouldn't pursue them, because they're divisive. Now, what does verse 7 tell us about that? Well, if each spiritual gift is a manifestation of who? The Spirit. That would mean then that the Spirit gave a gift that is, is that possible? No, it's not possible, no. She had heard that somewhere from somebody that because they were open but cautious or really against those, that particular gift, okay? Now here, think this way. If, if spiritual gifts can be divisive, what throughout the history of the church has been more divisive, tongues or the gift of teaching? Because there always will be what? False prophets who preach false doctrine who are gonna teach false things. Which has created in the history of the church more division, tongues or false teaching? False teaching by far. Therefore, should we avoid that gift? Absolutely not. Okay? So when you see a spiritual gift in operation, it's, it's a manifestation of, a revealing of, a display of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11 now. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. This is a neat verse. You know what this verse is saying? I'm going to put this up here for you so you can see it. That the Holy Spirit determines the mix of spiritual gifts we receive. You have no say in it. You're his masterpiece, and he fitted you and designed you exactly the way you are. The Holy Spirit energizes or works those in you those gifts, okay? There's an energy that comes from me, within me, to write a sermon. And when I read the text, things just kind of fall into place, and it's a, a, it's a pleasure, it's a desire, it's an energy. I'm energized by that, okay? If I were to go and to do a long counseling session or go visit someone in the hospital, I can do that, but you'll notice after about a half hour, I'm yawning, it sucks the very life out of me. I would do it, but I'm not wired that way. People that have the gift of hospitality or, 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 or mercy gifts, they can sit there and they're just energized by that. And to me, I would rather deal with conflict in the church at some point in time than do that just because I'm not wired that way. Okay? But he energizes those gifts. Two more points this verse tells us. The Holy Spirit gives universally. You see? Each one, it says, or every believer. And finally, the Holy Spirit gives gifts specifically, individually. Now, let me add this as well. Just listen to this in Romans chapter 12. It says, verse 3, when we talked about the redeemed soul, holy body, renewed mind, Dismissive will. This is verse 3. For through the grace given me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Now, what grace is Paul referring to in verse 3? He says, for, through the grace given to me. Well, that's the grace to be called an apostle. Then in verse 6, he talks about the grace given to us, which is a reference to spiritual gifts. Meaning we didn't earn it. 
Paul didn't earn the right to be an apostle or earn all the gifts he was given. You don't earn the right to have the, the gifts that God's given you. They're simply an act of grace. So consider yourselves accordingly. Not with pride, but with sober judgment. But here's the point I really want to make, the additional part. With that grace comes from God a certain amount of faith. In fact, I'll just put this up here for you. A certain amount of faith. God has, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now what is that faith for? Because yes, faith is even a gift from God. How about this? For by grace you've been saved through faith, not as a result of yourselves, not as a result of works that no one should boast. It's a gift from God. The faith, the ability to believe, is even a gift from God. Anyways, what's this faith for when it comes to spiritual gifts? To use our spiritual gift. So only does God, by his grace, give us our mix of spiritual gifts, but he also gives us the right amount of faith to operate or to use your spiritual gifts. Did you understand that? Did you know that? Yeah. Think of God when it comes to spiritual gifts like a, a cook or a chef. They measure out the right proportions of the ingredients. And in the end, you have this you know, just great tasting dish. All right? Now, nobody has the mix, hear me on this, of spiritual gifts with the faith and energy to use them like yours. You are a snowflake. And what do we know about snowflakes? There are none alike. Okay? Just as there are no two snowflakes, they're the same. If there are no spiritual gift distributions, they're the same. I mean, you're unique. I know you don't think that way, but this is what the scriptures say. You're unique. And the church needs you to use your gifts to bring the body to full Christ-likeness. Okay? Let me give you another illustration from my life. Why am I here at Bible Chapel? Let me rephrase that. Why am I pastoring a small church? Okay, you're called. Well, why would I, why would I call to pastor a larger church? Okay? Well, simple fact of the matter is God designed me to pastor a small church. I grew up in smaller churches, some churches smaller than this, some churches larger than this, okay? I was called to a small church as a campus minister, called to a small church as associate pastor. I understood how small churches work. I even took a personality test when I wasn't sure if God was calling me out of ministry that was very extensive, multiple days in, in tests and meetings and so on. And I was specifically designed to run nonprofit organizations that, are, that were smaller. So knowing that, God put a, a, me in charge of a church in Indiana that was small but needed to do a very big job. And he had gifted me with a gift of teaching but also with gifts of leadership and administration. And it wasn't a gift of teaching I primarily used the first two years I was there. It was leadership and administration. I told you, I was a project manager for two years and then I taught, wrote sermons. Now, God knew that, that these churches needed these certain things. He wouldn't put a large, you know, a, 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 a pastor or a man he's, or one he's designed, or a man he's designed for a larger church in a smaller church where you have to do so many different things. Okay? Designed that way. 
giving the gifts mixed. In fact, the church in Indiana brought in a, what they call the church doctor and they wrote the job description through this church doctor, his analysis of the church. And they saw that, that, that this church doctor was trying to save the current pastor and their, his team, their jobs, they confronted him. And he admitted he did that. He said, what's the real thing this church needs? And he laid out what this church needs and it was an exact fit for me. You are unique. You're gifted uniquely and specifically. Now in verses 12 through 26 of Ephesians, or rather of Corinthians, Paul uses the analogy of a body to describe the church. You're probably familiar with it. He develops this analogy along the lines of, of four points. I'll put them up here for you. Unity, diversity, sovereignty, and harmony. Again, unity and diversity. Just listen to verse, starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one and has yet many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. That's unity. You see that? That's unity. Let's talk about diversity. Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but what? Many. Many. Let's talk about sovereignty. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Look at verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to, to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. 28, and God, what? Has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, ministration, and so on. That's the sovereignty. Who put me here? Who put you here? Who put you here? God. Sovereignty. And then finally, harmony. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 19, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now we hear of many members, but one body. So you get the whole idea. It's, it's harmony. It's everything working together. So there's unity and diversity and sovereignty and harmony in the church in the use of spiritual gifts. And this is how the body grows and matures into full Christ-likeness. And again, let me say this point over and over and over again this morning. Every one of us is unique. We're exactly what God made us to be to build up the church into full Christ-likeness. Now there's one final point, and this is perhaps the most important point regarding spiritual gifts. Look at verse 31. And I will show you still a more excellent way. That's chapter 13. 
If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So we see right here the final point. Yes, it's controlled by the Spirit, the gifts are. They're given by grace from God. They're used to serve the body, empowered by the Lord, a public display of the Spirit, operate in proportionate faith, and they're always wedded to love. Always wedded to love. They're to be used in love. All the unity and the diversity and the harmony and the energy is meaningless in regards to spiritual gifts. In fact, it's unprofitable if there is no love. So the attitude behind the gift is better than the result of the gift or the use of the gift. And you can pastor a mega church. If you have no love, it profits you nothing. Nothing. Now, what are the spiritual gifts? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, we just read them, verses 8 through 10 and verse 28. You can read, I'm going to read these to you real quick. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Verse 28, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. In Romans 12, 6 and 8, because 1 Corinthians and Romans it lists primarily the, the spiritual gifts. Verse 6, Romans 12, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, those are the spiritual gifts, the two primary sources in the Bible that list spiritual gifts. Okay? Now, have, if you didn't know this or not, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased to be given. You're in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's where you are? Well, there are those in the church that believe that those gifts are no longer in operation. Now, what I mean by the miraculous gifts, or what they are sometimes called the sign gifts. There are gifts of, of healing, for example, of miracles, or of, of prophecy, or of a word of knowledge, or of tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and so on. And there are those that say in the church today that those gifts have ceased to be given to the church. Well, why would they think that? Because the miraculous gifts were given, in their estimation, to authenticate the apostles and their message when they wrote the New Testament. Okay? Once they died, and we had the completed Bible, which is called the Canon of Scripture, there was no need for the miraculous gifts to be given. Okay? Have you ever been to a church that 
thinks that or teaches that. Okay? You have been, but you just don't know it. Because unless a church, you've been to an open but cautious church. Right? There, I'm open to it, right? But is there any healings that happen in that church? Any prophecies, any tongues or anything like that? No. No. In essence, they're operating like they don't believe the miraculous gifts are in operation. They must be pursued. Okay? Now, the people who believe this are called cessationists. The word cease, C-E-A-S-E, cessationists. Okay? Now, people who believe the miraculous gifts continue on, even to this day, are called continuous. This church is a continuous church. We believe that the Miraculous gifts have not been removed. They're still being given and are in operation today. Now, you're in 1 Corinthians, right? Verse 13. Here's one passage, because for the light of time, that cessationists use to prove their point. Starting in verse 8. Everyone there? Love never fails. And love doesn't get up and walk out when the pastor is speaking. I'm joking, Diane. I know what you've got to do, so... I need to make a little joke to get people some energy, all right? <laughs> it says, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will what? Pass away, be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease, They're hence cessationists. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now obviously, there is coming a time when prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will stop, right? Everyone see that in the text? The question is, well, when will they stop? Well, the text says what? When the perfect comes. You see that? So that's the next question. What is the perfect? Well, I mean, yeah, but this is what they say. There's a large portion of the church that believes this, that the perfect refers to the completed Bible. Now, the problem with that is that there is nothing in the text or even in the context that would lead us to believe that Paul is referring to the completed Bible when he was writing this. Okay? What the text leads us to believe is that when, when I see face to face, and when I know fully, they don't happen with the completed Bible, but when I see Jesus Christ again at his second coming. In other words, now I see dimly. When will I see him face to face? At his second coming, right? Now I know in part, when will I know him fully? At his second coming. Okay? Folks, that is why, or that is when the gifts will no longer be needed, when he comes again. And that is why love is so great. When we see Jesus at his second coming, because what remains? Faith, hope, and love, but the grace of these is love. Why is love so great? Well, when I see him once again, or for the, really for the first time physically, I see him. Will there be any need for faith? No, it'll be realized. 
when I see him once again, will there be any need for hope? Because hope is fully realized. He's here. He is my hope. But when I see him again, will I need to love him? Yes, you will always need to love him. This is why love is the greatest. These two remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We will always need to love him. Okay, now, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Okay, we're winding up here. How do I dis- discover my spiritual gifts? Well, one of the things that I've done is I've printed out for you a spiritual gifts test if you'd like to take one. Right there by Roger Hancock is doing something other than what I want him to do is listen to me. Can you pick up those papers that like, looks like this? If you want to pick up a spiritual gifts test, you can take one of these. Free. Okay, it's very self-explanatory. It will even define the spiritual gifts. Okay, all the spiritual gifts. What exhortation is, what exorcism is, what teaching is, what prophecy is, all of it. This is the uh, Wagner Modified Houts Questionnaire from the Fuller Institute of Evangelism and Church Growth. Okay, it's pretty simple. The key thing is this when it comes to spiritual gifts. If you've never taken a spiritual gifts test before, check your ego. <laughs> check your ego. Be honest, an honest assessment of, of, of who you are. Because what is the thing that pretty much when it comes to spiritual gifts that we want? If we're going to be honest with each other. Well, you want to be behind the pulpit, right? Because you want to be teaching. A lot of people do that. A lot of people want that because it's a, it's a showy gift. They want to be able to heal people. They want to do the miraculous. I have great faith. They want to be able to, I would love to be able to say to, this, this, to the earth, open up and swallow the slow driver in front of me. Close back up so I can go. Right? Who doesn't want that gift? Or may fire come down from heaven, consume them, and blow them away so I have a straight shot home. No traffic, right? We don't want the gift of service or help, so some of us don't, or mercy or whatever the other gifts that you may have. Okay. Patience, well, that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. It's just a, a character trait that has to be worked into all of us. But take a spiritual gifts test. Now, a word to the wise, it's not definitive, a spiritual gifts test. It's an inclination, it's an indicator. So take it honestly, check your ego at the door, write out as best you can, and then you can score it all up and go through it and everything, and it might give you an idea of, of spiritual, your spiritual gifts. Then the, the key thing is serving the church using those gifts. Now here's the thing. You, know, you will know, how, how will I know kind of what my gifts are? Well, I don't have to tell Roger Hancock every day to come and, and clean up and do stuff around this church here. I would never do that. <laughs> I want someone else to do it. He's here every day. So he's got some sort of desire to do that. I think he's a freak of nature, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, he's not unique. He's a freak, okay? But no, but I mean, I see him more than anybody else in the church. But he's using his gifts, and he's energized by that, Okay. Find out what areas give you energy, if it's serving, if it's in the nursery, if it's preparing the communion, if it's cleaning, okay, if it's maybe leading a women's group, which we've been asking people, you know, if you want to lead that and try that, have a heart for that. What you do, you will be good at. It will be easy for you, you'll be energized by it, and others will notice it. So in other words, when I left 
was within Campus Crusade for Christ and was joining the local church. And they were without a, a pastor for a year. And I spoke for the first time there, already knowing that I had a teaching gift. When I stepped down at that first sermon, they looked at me and said, you have a gift of teaching. So others will confirm to you that this is what your gift is as you use that gift. Okay? So take the test and then serve. Okay? Find out what that gift is. And again, it should give you energy. You should be excited about it. And it should be effective. Okay? And one final point is that you have a responsibility, and this is kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. You have a responsibility to God in Matthew 25, 15. It's the parable of the talents. And we all know that parable, right? One was given five talents, one was given two, one was given one. What's the point of that parable? He's coming again, you need to be ready, and so you are to use your talents. Your talents includes amongst many things the gifts that you've been given. And so you'll have to give an account and either suffer loss or reward for how you have stewarded your talents, your spiritual gifts. So find out what your gifts are. Use those gifts. And use those gifts primarily, remember this, in love. Knowing that when you're using the gifts, when the church is using all the gifts that God has given, the church can, and it's the only way the church will reach full Christ likeness. And the world will see that and they will glorify God. And that is what we need. And so it's a pretty simple discover your spiritual gifts. Now, if we need more of those, I think I only created like 20 of these, or actually 21. There's one up here. Okay. You can take the test more than once if you need to, as you learn what your spiritual gifts are. So we talked about what is the church, and we talked about spiritual gifts. I think next week we'll talk about worship, because that is so much for, refers to the church. And what is worship? What is true worship? And so let's close with a song this morning. I hope you are built up and edified to use or identify and use your spiritual gifts. Stand with me. We'll close with a song. Lord, there's one thing that we can say about you. We, we sang it in the song, there's always abundantly more. Well, you have so thoroughly resourced your church. I pray that we would be up to the task of using the resources you've given us to bring you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.